Our Untangled Minds by CUSM is for informational purposes only and does not constitute professional medical or psychological advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Please make sure if you do have any questions or concerns that are medical or psychological in nature that you seek out a physician or qualified mental health provider for further help. Furthermore, the information, viewpoints, or opinions expressed in this podcast are solely the views of the individuals that are involved. They do not represent absolute fact and are subject to change at any point in time. CUSM does not accept responsibility for these views. Lastly, the names and details of any medical stories shared in this episode have been edited for privacy. Welcome to the Brave Story series, part of the Untangled Mind podcast. Brave stories where we listen to first-hand accounts of ordinary people overcoming extraordinary circumstances. Whether you live with mental illness, have struggled with life's adversities, or are curious about other people's journeys, here together, story by story, we experience what it means to be brave. In this episode, we will listen to one person explore their relationship with bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder, like other mental illnesses, is often misconstrued behind clouds of statistics and symptomatology. Discussions of mental health and illness are typically led by experts, the people who treat, diagnose, and label mental illness. The mic, sort of speak, is not handed to those with lived experience. The people who undergo the treatment live with the diagnosis and feel the weight of the stigma that comes from these labels, the true experts. Even within the mental illness community, the voices of those with depression or anxiety are much more commonplace. Rarely, though, are the voices of those with bipolar disorder uplifted and recognized. Therefore, today, we will hear a first-hand account of the struggles, triumph, and beauty and misery in white circles, green ovals, orange squares. For our listeners, there is a content warning for the depiction of self-harm. White circles, green ovals, orange squares. Written by Anonymous. White circles, green ovals, orange squares. Certain pills have a bitter taste that lingers on my tongue, but most just taste like lumps. Every time I see my doctor, my drug cocktail changes slightly. Some pills are added and some removed. Some I take more of and some I take less of. I'm pretty sure the pharmacist at Walgreens knows me by name now. This morning, I placed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different pills on my tongue, let the bitter taste sink in, and swallowed them down with a glass of milk. With my handful of prescription medication comes a plethora of questions. Am I doing the right thing by taking all of this medication? Am I even on the right medication? Am I still the same person I was without medication? Am I going to be okay? The answer to these questions is unknown to me. Maybe there is no answer. Instead of an answer, there is a hazy gray fog of ambiguity. With each pill swallowed, I enter an opaque realm defined by unclear identities. I float in a cool, dark water that threatens to swallow me and drag me to the uncharted depths of the unknown. Rather than fight the water, I have learned that it is better to swim with the current and tolerate the ambiguity. Ambiguity tolerance is a psychological construct that describes the ability to exist in a problematic and confusing situation while still tirelessly working on it. To survive mental illness and its subsequent treatment, one must accept and willingly function in the unknown. You must live with the fact that sometimes there is no answer while endlessly searching for one. Without illness, there never would have been any medication or the heavy questions that come with it. Without my illness, there would be no need to search for an answer to these questions. My illness is a bipolar disorder, 
a psychiatric condition characterized by mood swings from dramatic manic highs to deep depressive lows. Without medication, my moods fluctuate somewhat like a sine wave, with danger looming at either peak. Living with a bipolar disorder is akin to riding a drop tower at Six Flags. As you steadily ascend to the top of the tower, energy fills your body, and the bystanders below transform into minuscule brown blotches. The adrenaline begins to kick in, and you tingle with excitement as you gaze out into the far distance. However, after a fleeting visit to the top of the tower, the mechanical clamps holding your car in place release, and you are sent spiraling downwards. Holding on tightly, you are locked in for the rest of the ride, growing increasingly nauseous with each rise and fall. When I was 14, I had my first fall. While standing in my mother's garden, I held a paring knife against the pad of my thumb until there was a deep maroon gash. The metal was cold against my skin. My blood was hot. The sun was bright that day, and the wind pulled the pinkish-purple flowers of the jacaranda tree to the bed of the garden. I watched the deep red blood drizzle down my thumb, slowly coagulating. Along with the next breeze came a whispering voice, gradually escalating in volume and nefarious intent. I would soon know this voice well. It mimicked my own and mocked my futile attempt at cutting it out. My violent act, incomprehensible to others, was my first attempt at understanding what was wrong with my brain. I just wanted to feel something, something other than the internal pain that ached and stabbed me with every thought, something tangible and concrete that I could grab onto. I needed to know that what I was feeling was real. With that first cut, my life took an odious turn as my mental illness began to increasingly show. As I stood in the garden, the blood continued to leak from my thumb, leaving red lines that stood out against the pale skin of my wrist. When I was 18, thin scars ran up my wrist to the base of my elbow. The scars documented both the history of my mental illness and my methodical attempts at understanding it. My life had become a constant game of hide-and-seek, a game in which the creature was always the one chasing after me with its taunting whispers. When depression caught me, I lost all energy and was kept prisoner in my room, accompanied only by my paranoid and anxious thoughts. The whispers in my ears would escalate to yells, mocking my every action. No action was ever good enough to quiet the whispers. Fat, stupid, lazy, rude, not enough. Not enough, not enough, not enough. I would not hide from it anymore. It was time to take a different approach at fighting the creature. The waiting room of the psychiatrist's office was a pale green color that vaguely reminded me of a hospital. The creature's sickly words flowed into my ear as I sank into the hard blue chair. Hurt yourself, hurt yourself, hurt yourself. Together we waited for our appointment. Once my name was called, I slunk down the hallway to the doctor's office with the thoughts, feelings, and beliefs that accompanied the creature. The physician looked eerily like Sigmund Freud as he sat at his desk. The walls were lined with assorted textbooks and medical journals, filled with secret recipes and spells that would expel my little demon. I left the office that day with a prescription for a neon orange bottle of magic pills that, if taken once every morning for two weeks in combination with therapy, would make the whispers go away. These pills, my first, were a pale blue and ovalate in shape. I had been given a powerful weapon, a sword that would allow me to vanquish the monster. These pills were a new weapon in my relentless fight against depression. Gradually, over the next few weeks, the whispers began to decrease in frequency, 
and intensity until it appeared that the creature had left me. I thought that the tiny blue pills would help me escape from the ambiguity of mental illness, but instead they thrust me deeper into the unknown. Although there are numerous hypotheses, there is no scientific consensus on the root cause of bipolar disorder. Some biochemical and pharmacological studies explain bipolar disorder as an excess and depletion of catecholamines. Other hypotheses identify serotonin as the culprit neurotransmitter. Others still implicate dopamine as the molecular offender. Antipsychotic medication is administered to reverse the biochemical pathways that produce psychiatric symptoms. Sometimes it feels as if my doctor is just taking a guess when alterations are being made to my medication regime. If the root cause of the disease is not known, how do I even know if my medication is working on the right neurotransmitter? Psychiatric medication is administered on a trial and error basis. To take psychiatric medication, you must embrace your role as a test subject. With each new medication, you conduct an experiment on yourself. Are you on the right medication? It may take months for you to determine. Until the answer unveils itself, the ambiguity of the situation must be tolerated. After six months of normalcy, the pills stopped working, and the whispers began biting at my ear again. The creature came back with full force, and the dark insinuations of the past hit me like a gust of wind. The pills did not do what they were intended to, so I sought out different pills. The next medication was a chalky white pill that disintegrated easily in the orange jar. Although this medication came with renewed hope, it could not stop the pendulum from swinging from depression to its polar opposite, mania, when I was 20. The exact mechanisms that underlie mania are unknown, but in patients with bipolar disorder, the amygdala, the mass of the brain involved with experiencing emotions, has been found to be hyperactive, while the prefrontal cortex, a region of the brain involved with decision-making and moderating social behavior, is hypoactive. For two months straight, I was electricity, and my brain's inadequate decision-making abilities were apparent. I felt so powerful that I could have conquered the world. Instead of world domination, I flooded my apartment, nearly failed a class, and decided that I no longer needed sleep. The whispers had come back as a ferocious burst of energy. This time they fueled me, and I vibrated with confidence and a lack of inhibition. I cheerfully skipped down a path of joyful destruction, unaware of the harm I was causing myself and others. Reluctantly, the spell was broken by my regularly scheduled doctor's appointment. I skipped down the hallway towards my doctor's office, excited to tell him that he was of no use to me anymore. I had found electricity. My doctor acted as if I were a caged tiger, unpredictable and dangerous. His words were carefully chosen so as not to set me off. Something was wrong, something was wrong, something was wrong with me. I left the office that day with a prescription for a psychiatric hospital, where the pills came in little white cups and went down like poison. In my mind, these pills took away my magic and made everything normal again. Now at 22 years old, I take seven different psychiatric medications each day to keep me in the middle. That is the goal. Middle ground. Not too high, not too low. Sustainable stability. The round white pills are to muffle the creature's whispers. The red elliptical tablets hold back the mania. I have orange pills to get me out of bed in the morning and blue pills to help me fall back asleep at night. Over the course of my life, I have been prescribed somewhere between 15 and 20 different medications to control the Janus-faced nature of my illness. 
Alongside each new pill's advantages arise new dilemmas. This leads to the most salient question one must grapple with when taking psychiatric medication, how they alter your sense of self. Medications can do the most peculiar things to the mind, especially those specifically created to alter portions of it. Am I the same person I once was? Are the changes that occurred to my personality natural or are they manifestations of the medication I use daily? When I was in high school, I loved to paint and draw. I would spend hours filling up sketchbooks with cross-hatched gargoyles and watercolor characters of my friends. I would have periods of feverish creativity where I would tear magazines to shreds to create intricate collages and, to the dismay of my parents, would splatter paint and glitter across the walls of my room. Then the pills came. The creative drive that was such an integral part of who I saw myself slowly left me, only to be replaced with by the occasional doodle. When I was in a manic state, I used to passionately attack life with vigor and drive. When depressed, I was dangerously introspective and overflowing with emotional insight. Now I'm just here, just normal. A few years ago, there was a viral movement on Twitter to reduce the stigma around mental illness. In it, users tweeted the slogan, hashtag, I am not my mental illness. Sometimes, I wonder if I actually am my mental illness. Sometimes, I feel as if a large chunk of me is missing because of the medication. Sometimes, I won't take my medication in a last-ditch attempt at getting that part of me back. The highs and lows have caused me a great amount of pain. But what if the highs and lows define who I am as a person? By evening these highs and lows out, I feel like I have lost myself. I am stuck in the middle now. With stability comes a deep, aching loss. Maybe the middle is the best place for me to be. In the middle, I am safe. The chemicals that circulate through my system are not perfect, but they have granted me stability. Although they take away the highs, I do not know if I would be alive if it were not for these pills. I could be dead, I could be dead, I could be dead. Without the pills, I am balanced on the edge of a cliff, one step from tumbling into darkness. The pills have built a platform I can stand on, protecting me from the whispers. They have placed me in normalcy. For better or for worse, I am stable. White circles, green ovals, orange squares. Although my medications have taken some things away from me, they have shaped who I am today. I am swimming with the current. I'm not just tolerating, but thriving in this ambiguity. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have any comments, questions, or episode suggestions, please email us at oumpodcast at cusm.org. That's oumpodcast at cusm.org. Thanks.